0: Well, we are going to continue on with our, with our series, our look through the Gospel of Mark. I hope you've been learning something already. I have. Here's something I know about the Word of God. There's a lot of good books in the world, right? A lot of, I, I spent, well, Suzanne, you guys, some of you know, Suzanne had a heart procedure this week. That's so why she wasn't playing the keyboard. So I was in the hospital with her all day Friday, and then she had to lay low yesterday and, and a lay low today and just kind of recover. But um, so I got to read a book I've wanted to read for a long time, and it was a great book. But here's the reality. That book is just written by some guy. You know, just written by some guy. But this isn't written by some guy. This is God's eternal word given to us. And this will change your life for eternity. And so I'm glad that we can go through a very common part of Scripture, through the, through the New Testament, through the Gospel of Mark, and we can just allow the Spirit of the Lord to change us as we interact with God's word. Amen? Amen. And today we're going to talk about, as we look in God's word, something... That affects every single one of us. And I'll say this. If you think it doesn't affect you, you're only lying to yourself. Here's one of the things we do in the church, and we do it really good. After we've been in the church for a while, we're really good at lying to ourselves. We're really good at saying we got it all figured out, where we can do, we're, we're, we got it all together. Here's what I know. It's absolutely not true. You know, it's not, I know it's not true about you. You know how I know? I think I'm peeking in your window at night. No? You know how I know it's not true? Because it's not true. It's, it's true about me. Because I know God is nowhere near done with me. And I can say this. I know that I have, since the day I came to Christ, I have literally given my life to saying, God, I want all you have. And so often I sit down and I go, oh God, I'm not even, I'm so far. I haven't done anything. I haven't, I haven't learned anything. And I know it's just part of being human. And so we're going to talk about something today that affects every single one of us. So if you're going to be prone to say, oh, that's not for me, or I've heard it before, I challenge you, it's not Mark's word, it's God's word, and God's word changes our lives. And this is what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about a word that we don't like. Temptation. Everybody say temptation. Temptation. Guess what? Temptation is everywhere. Temptation to eat too much? I hate that one. Right? I hate it. You know, does anybody know John? Our deal. John has lost like. Can I embarrass you? You've lost like how much since I've known you? Two years. Uh, Sixty. Sixty some pounds. Anybody know the song? Maybe I told you before. Big Bad John. (laughs) He stood six foot four, weighed two forty five. Big John. I told him when he gets to two forty five, I'm singing. It's going to be a music video though, because I don't want to. I am singing Big John Love. He's with, yeah, I think Mike Gahan is helping me. And so we're singing, he stood six foot four, weighed 245. And so we're going to do that. So you've got to lose it, because who wants to hear me sing that song? Okay. So anyways, you've overcome the temptation to eat too much. You've lost 60-some pounds. Temptations everywhere. Temptations to do things we shouldn't do. Temptations to not do what we know we should do. See, being tempted is just part of being a human. If you're breathing, you will be and are being tempted to sin. And I want to look at a story from Scripture dealing with Jesus that talks about being tempted. Let's look in the first chapter of the book of Mark. Just two verses today out of Mark. we're uh, We're going to look at Matthew in a minute. But look at Mark chapter 1, verses 12 and 13. If you're visiting and you're in these sections here, the chairs, and you don't have a Bible, down in front of the chair in front of you are some black Bibles. You're welcome to grab one of those. And if you don't own a Bible, you're welcome to take it home with you. Okay? Our gift to you so you can follow along. The book of Matthew, first chapter, verses 12 and 13. Mark. Thank you. Mark. I like that name. If you don't know, my name is Mark. So, verse 12. Immediately, the Spirit impelled him. Who's him here? Jesus capital H impelled him to go out into the wilderness. Now let's stop there. What's it mean immediately? Immediately just saying just after he was baptized. Remember a few weeks ago we looked at Jesus being baptized by John and then the the reality of the of the evidence of the Trinity. We see God the Father speaking from heaven, the Spirit descending as a dove upon Jesus who's being baptized. We see this 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 wonder of the Trinity something that we Can't really get our mind around, but we see it expressed in Scripture. So immediately upon his water baptism, verse 12, it says, Immediately... As the Spirit has come upon him, remember, the Spirit's come upon him. It had been symbolized in the Old Testament. The priests, before before they'd make a sacrifice, would put on a white garment. And it was the symbol of the Spirit's anointing. And now Jesus has the real anointing, the presence of the Spirit, comes upon him at his baptism. And immediately then, the Spirit, who's come upon him, impelled him to go out into the wilderness. And he was in the wilderness 40 days, being tempted by Satan. And he was with wild beasts and the angels were ministering to him. Now, before we get into some details about looking at temptation in particular, um, and we look at some other verses dealing with this, before we get into any detail that we need to get into, because here's, what I, here's my goal for today, that we're going to understand temptation better when we leave than when we came in. And by understanding it better, we can identify it more clearly and more quickly. And when we understand, identify it more quickly and more clearly, then we're able to overcome it more successfully. Because here's my, here's my goal for you and for me. I want us to be overcomers. You know what I love about the, in Revelation, there's a message to the seven churches. And in every case, this is what the Lord says. It, 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 almost everyone he says you got problems. Two, he says you does not have any problems. But everyone, he says this though, but you can overcome. And to those who overcame, he gave something special. God's plan for you and I is to be overcomers. But here's what I found out about temptation. If we don't really understand where it comes from and what it is and how to overcome it, we'll lose to it and it will defeat us. And so my goal today is for you to become better overcomers than you are today and for me to become a better overcomer than I am today. So before we look into those details, there's a few things that I think we need to see from the text that are going to help us to understand some things about temptation that maybe have been confusing to you and to me in the past. The first thing that I see from the text, just from, a, from an overall view of it, looking at just the big picture, is this. That Jesus was tempted. that sound pretty... That's, is that mind-blowing? Is that, mind blowing? Is that revolution? Jesus was tempted. You say, why in the world would you point out that point when we talk about temptation? Here's why I want to point out the fact that Jesus was tempted. Because some people, especially as they walk with the Lord for a season of time, and I've got to tell you, as I prepared this this week, I really felt God was saying to me, Mark, yes, this message is for people new to their faith, but this message is more for people who are old to their faith. Because we believe we've got it all. That's the devil wins when he gets us off our guard. and So don't be off your guard today. Be on guard. And this is for, that's for us who walk for a while, this message right here, this part. Jesus was tempted. You see, some people, they get upset, or they think that they're unspiritual or maybe immature when they realize they're facing temptation. Or maybe this. Sometimes we look down on some people when we recognize that they're wrestling with temptation, and they say, well, you just ought to be more mature than that. And I think we do that a lot. You know, they say this maybe, well, you know what, Pastor Mark, I'm just too mature when I see them involved in something and I say, man, be careful. And they say, I'm, I'm mature. I'm just too mature to be tempted by and you fill in the blank what the by is. I'm too mature to be tempted by that thing. Well, church, if Jesus was tempted, and remember, it doesn't say that he wasn't tempted, that, the, that Satan tried to tempt him and it didn't work. It says he was tempted. It was, it, it was a struggle. If Jesus was tempted then we can understand that we will be also because Jesus is the most mature person who ever walked on the face of the earth. And if he was tempted, we will be also. And we need to understand being tempted isn't sinful. Being tempted isn't sinful. Sin, sinning is sinful. Does that make sense? So being tempted is just part of being human. Temptation's not going to stop in our lives until our heart beats stop. Will you do me a favor? Take the right hand and hold it up make the peace sign for me. Can you do that? Now I'll put your fingers together. Now I'll put them right here. You feel something happening? I, hear, I feel a thump, thump. If you're Suzanne, you feel thump, 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 <laughs> thump, 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 because that's why she's in the hospital trying to figure out why her heart rate is always so high. And so you hear, feel thump, thump, thump. You know what? You have a pulse. It means your heart's beating. As long as you have a heartbeat, you will face temptation. So you better learn to deal with it. Right? First thing we see just from an overall look at the text. Second thing we notice, I better get moving here. Second thing we notice before we get to the details, and this one may mess with your theology, especially for those of us sometimes who think that God's plan for our lives is just to make life simple and easy. And unfortunately, we've lived in a world where that message has been preached a lot from pulpits that say they're Christian that God's plan is just to make everything simple and easy for us, bless us, give us all we have. Well, this verse will completely mess with you, if you believe that. Because look what it says in the text. It says, the Holy Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted. The Holy Spirit, the one who had just come upon him, the anointing, that had just come upon him, the anointing for power, the anointing for success, all the things we look at and say, I want the presence of the Holy Spirit. The presence of the Holy Spirit came on Jesus, and the first thing he did was not cause him to, you know, do miracles, feed five thousand. The first thing he did is he is he led him into the wilderness to be tempted. And look at some of your Bibles use a different word than led. The New American Standard says impelled him. It says basically impelled or pushed or forced or drove him into the wilderness to be tempted. That it wasn't just some, hey, why don't you do this? It was a forceful thing. Get out in the wilderness. There's work that has to be done about in your life. Now, let's think about this for a minute. I think God is often put us, putting us in situations where we're tempted. You know, does God tempt people? Thank you. Scripture says no. James chapter 1 verse 13 says, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone. So what in the world do we have here? What we see here and we see in other places is that God can and even does allow and even lead us into situations where we will be tempted. And you say, well, why in the world? If God wants me to be an overcomer, why would he possibly lead Jesus and me into a situation where I'm going to face temptation? Mark, that makes no sense. How can it be possible? Well, the why is for this reason. Because God isn't satisfied with us staying where we're at. Remember we talked about pulling weeds during communion. He wants us to get better. And because the reason he'll put us in a situation where we can face temptation is because learning to overcome temptation is a necessary part of maturing in your Christian walk. You know, if we are to grow and be used of God, we must learn to overcome the obstacles that Satan is going to throw in our path. So when you are tempted at times, and you're going to figure out how you see that temptation in a few minutes, consider the possibility that just maybe you are in a situation that you're in and you're facing the temptation you're facing because God wants you to grow. He doesn't want you to fail. He doesn't want you to sin. He wants you to learn how to overcome sin. What's the, in, the, in the listing of the fruit of the spirit? The nine fruit of the spirit listed. What's the last one? Love, joy, peace, patience, what is it? <laughs> self-control. self-control. That He wants you to learn and develop the fruit of the spirit of self-control to be tempted and to not give in. When we grow in this area, God can use us in greater ways. God can use us in more places. God can put you in more situations. When we grow. So those are the two big, the big things we see, the macro, as we look at the text. Now let's kind of dial in our focus and look at some micro, look at kind of some details of this thing. What I want to do, primarily for the rest of our time, is look at how was Jesus tempted, and then how can we, we overcome temptation? Because we're going to say, if Jesus was tempted this way, Satan will tempt us that way also. And then if that's how he was tempted, how did he overcome, and how else in Scripture does it say we can avoid falling to temptation? so that we not only can recognize it, but we're empowered to become overcomers. So let's look at how Jesus was tempted. What tactics did Satan use to try to get Jesus to sin? You know, And this is, just like I said, important because these are the same tactics he's going to use against you. Now to see this more clearly, I want us to look at the expanded version of this story in the book of Matthew. Turn to Matthew with me, Matthew chapter 4. If you understand the way the Gospels are written, Mark, is a, Mark the Gospel of Mark, is the shortest Gospel, and it always says, what word does it repeat all the time? Anybody know? Immediately. Immediately. It's all about quick, 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 quick. And um, it gives condensed versions. Well, Matthew takes his own sweet time and tells all the details a lot of times. So Matthew chapter 4, starting in verse 1, let's look at the first 11 verses, it's going to tell us in more detail the expanded version of Jesus' temptation. Verse 1, Matthew 4. It says, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he then became hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, this is temptation number one, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. And he answered and said, Jesus said, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Verse 5. Then the temptation 2. Then the devil took him into the holy city and had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple. And he said, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus said to him, On the other hand, it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Verse 8, Temptation 3, And again the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said, All these things I will give to you if you fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Go, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Look, there's three ways. That Jesus was tempted by Satan, and I want you to understand something these three ways are three three things were very specific they 're very and they 're very common. He tempted Jesus in the three areas of greatest human vulnerability, the areas in your life and in my life that we are most likely to feel the effect of temptation in our lives, and those are the areas he attacked and um, and so These areas that he pointed out are really defined this way. The needs of his flesh. Jesus became hungry. That's the first place he attacked. Then the area of his pride. He said, prove who you are. Are you really the son of God? And then the area of greed. I'll give you all of this, the desire for more. And friends, understand something. If you look at your entire life and look at all of your temptations and all of your failures and all your overcomings, you can almost always kind of dial in these three areas. as the three areas that Satan will come at you with. And remember, he doesn't come in a frontal assault usually. We don't just have a time where he comes at me like this and says, Oh, by the way, Dave, I'm going to go out and take you in the wilderness for 40 days and I'm just going to tempt you. No, it doesn't happen that way. It's in the middle of going to work. It's in the midst of, of dealing with the pressure of your kids' problems. It's in the middle of whatever. And one of these areas is where he generally come at you and begin to throw a temptation in front of you that his plan of the temptation is to not necessarily destroy you usually, it's to derail you. It's to get you off the path. That God has for you. The path of victory and success and growth. That's all he wants you to do. He wants to get you off that path. And so let's look at these individually. And see how we can identify how they affect us. Because Jesus overcame them. But how do they affect us? The first way that he attacked Caesar, Jesus. Or attempted Jesus. Was he attacked him through the area of the needs of his flesh. Of his, of his body. The needs of his flesh. Now let's look at the text. It says this: Jesus hadn't eaten in 40 days. And he was hungry. You think you'd be hungry? I think I'd be hungry. I don't eat for 40 minutes and I'm hungry. Suzanne told me I had a tapeworm the other day. I just couldn't eat enough food. She'd say, what is wrong with you? You got a tapeworm? I said, maybe. It's still a residual from Cambodia. It's in there somewhere. Some some bug. Jesus hadn't eaten in 40 days and he was hungry. So Satan starts here. You know, he says this, turn this rock into bread. In other words, he says, use your power as the son of God to make some bread. He's saying, don't allow God to provide. He's saying, I know this. Remember the story, he said that angels were ministering to him. Don't let the ministry of God and the angels be enough for you. Take control. You, you, you meet your need here. You got, you're hungry, man. It should be hungry. Now think about this. Is it wrong to be hungry? Who ate breakfast this morning? Some of you didn't. I ate a banana. It's kind of donuts count. Who are you? Why'd you eat? Because you were hungry. Is it wrong to satisfy your hunger? No. It's not wrong to satisfy your hunger. I ate breakfast. But is it wrong to satisfy your hunger or any other need of your flesh in a wrong way? The answer is yes. How many of you have ever read the book Sounder? Do do the kids at OCS read Sounder? Not part of their curriculum. Uh, Maybe you are a little too young for it too. Who's read Sounder? Come on. Oh, Sounder's a great book. Who's ever seen the movie Sounder? Okay, there is a movie, I think, a couple years ago, Sounder. Sounder, is a, it's the story of a poor southern, kind of an American classic, poor southern, sharecropping black family, and they have a dog named what? Sounder. You know why Sounder? Because he's a coon dog. And Sounder the coon dog howls after coons. And they can hear his sound. He's a great coon dog. Well, the book unfolds. What happens in the book, the real, the real story is about this boy and his dog, but it's really about the fact that this boy's dad, who's a sharecropping, I um, said, sharecropping a black man in early America, and he is frustrated because the white family he's working for is rich and has all this stuff, and he has nothing. And he's tired of his kids being hungry and his kids having nothing. So he says, enough is enough. I'm going to deal with it. And he deals with it this way. He sneaks into the white person's house and he steals a bunch of food. And the boy wakes up in the morning and smells bacon and ham. And there's biscuits. And can't believe it's a feast. You know, and the dad knows it's going to happen. They get one good meal and they... the white people in the law figure out uh, what happened, that this guy stole their food, and they come in and they arrest him and they throw him into a work camp and they shoot Sounder in the process and wound him and he, he comes back, you know, he, he survives. And, um, but it's a story of a person who met temptation, who was tempted to meet a need in a wrong way. Because temptation said to the man this, it said, do it, steal it, take it. Those people have more than they deserve, the people in the house you're working for. They are getting rich at your expense. You work harder than they do. do, You do all the work and they just tell you what to do. You deserve more. Take some of theirs. And guess what? He did it. Now, friends, it may be true that they needed more. And they did. And it may be true that some had more than they needed. And they did. But is it right to satisfy your need? It is a need. They were really hungry. Is it right to satisfy your need in a sinful way? And the answer is no. You see, God's word it's clear. God's word says stealing is wrong. You know? But you know what? That's not so easy to follow when your flesh, your real flesh, your hunger, most of us don't know hunger pains, but your hunger is crying and Satan is whispering in your ear and he's saying, go ahead and take the ham. Those fat white people don't need it. Take it, you deserve it, and your kids are hungry. It's harder to not listen to that voice then. Now you know what? Maybe we're not tempted to steal food. You know, most of us seem to eat pretty well. If I look around the room. But you know what? Your flesh has all kinds of needs. Your flesh is real. Understand that it's real. You know, how about the the temptation of sexual satisfaction? Someone says this, they said, you know what, I'm not married to whomever, but I have a hunger. Matter of fact, they write country songs about it. Right? It's about a hunger. It's real. It's a real hunger. And so I'm tempted, because Satan's whispering in my ear, to feed my hunger in a sinful way. Pornography, fornication, adultery. The hunger of the flesh is real. So Satan knows that it's an, area, an easy area to tempt you in, right? So the first thing we see is, remember, we're identifying how he tempts. The first way is through the, the, the lusts of our flesh, the needs, the hungers of our flesh. He comes at something that's real to us. You, you can really feel hungry. There's really all kinds of real human needs that Satan comes and he uses that area as a way to get you to fulfill it in an inappropriate way. It's first area. Next area that Satan likes to tempt you in is the area of pride. Look at verse 6. This is hilarious. If you notice in his three temptations, it's the only time he frames it like this. He says, Satan says to Jesus, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, and he goes on to say what's written about him. He says, if you are the son of God, then prove it. Satan comes and he challenges Jesus. He didn't work to challenge the hunger of his flesh. So he challenges his pride. You know what? Pride can be an open window for Satan's access into our lives. We love to prove ourselves to others, don't we? I just recovered from broken ribs. Some of you, so I was talking to somebody recently they didn't know that. I just recovered from broken ribs. Been, they've just been healed up in the last couple weeks. You know how come I broke my ribs? Because of pride. I was going to prove to Josh that I'm still tougher than he is. And so we were wrestling and mom was yelling, don't do it, somebody's going to get hurt. And I'm like, you're darn right, somebody's going to get hurt. My 19-year-old son's going to get hurt. And it was all in good, clean fun. We weren't mad, there wasn't a bit of anger. You know, he was telling me he was going to give me a timeout. He was going to put me on the bed. And I said, oh, you think so? Well, guess what? The end result was we both, as I tried to smash him into the dresser, um, we both crashed, fell on the bottom of the dresser and I broke my ribs. You know what? You know what that really is? It was all in good fun. But you know what the real seed of that is? I'm trying to prove that I'm still tougher than my boy. I think I am. <laughs> I'm pretty sure I still am. But uh, but I, he doesn't have broken ribs and I did. And so so, anyways, I'm not exactly sure. We love to prove ourselves, you know. <laughs> I didn't hear that. Good thing I'm deaf too. <laughs> So I'm old and deaf. So we love to prove ourselves. We love to toot our own horns. Look how good I am. Look how whatever, good looking I am, how strong I am, how how effective I am, How what a great worker. We love to toot our own horns. And we love to show how we are always so right. And friends, that all stems from pride. I want you to think about something. How many arguments that you've had in your life have occurred just because you and somebody else, or two people you watched, wanted to prove that they were right. It didn't even matter. In the middle of an argument, you, they couldn't even tell you what the argument was about. They're just going to prove that they're right. At this point, it's just all about, I'm going to prove I'm right. Because see, we see that everywhere. You know, from Jesus' disciples arguing about who is the greatest, that was all pride, going to prove I'm the best, I'm right, to a spouse who refuses to apologize after being harsh, towards someone, their spouse, because they say this, even though I'll say it out loud, no one is going to tell me what to do. It happens every day. It will happen with some of us today before lunch. Promise. It will happen. I don't want it to. It might happen to me. You know, before lunchtime. Friends, if Satan wants to get us away from our connected relationship with Christ, the way he often does it is he just tries to get us to focus on me on self, on pride. We say, what's in it for me? Or we say, I've been wronged. Or we say, I want recognition that I deserve and it's all about me. And this thinking often leads to sinful behavior and it's fueled by pride. So, he attacks through our flesh's needs. He attacks through pride. And the last way he attacks is through the area of greed. Just wanting more. Look at verses 8 and 9. Wanting more. We're going to talk about how to fight these in just one second. Verses 8 and 9. It says, And again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and all their glory. And he said to him, All these things I will give you, all of it, if you fall down and worship me. Satan says, Worship me, and I'll give you all of this. All this glory. All this stuff. You can have it all. More, more, more. Or if you watch The Apprentice, you know, money, 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 right? You can have it all. That's what that's about. That's just appealing to the the reality of humanity that is bent towards greed. You can have it all. More, more, more. So often when Satan wants to sidetrack you, he tempts you with wanting more stuff or not being satisfied with the stuff that you already have. Friends, wasn't that the tactic he used on the church in Laodicea? We re- I referred to it a few times today, the seven churches of Asia, that the book of Revelation, the first couple of chapters, writes about. And one of the churches is Laodicea. And the reason I point out Laodicea is I really believe that there are spiritual parallels and ramifications and applications between the church of Laodicea and the church of America today. And as we read about the church of Laodicea, what we find is the way Satan worked on them and the way Jesus then confronted them was that they had been focusing on stuff. You know what? This is what they thought. It says this is what they thought about themselves. And man, this is, this is a danger. So often when we walk with Christ, especially for a long time, and we have a lot. We think that means that we're doing it right. We think it means the blessing of God rests upon us. But it says when they looked at themselves, this was their appraisal of them. It says we are rich and well-fed, and in need of nothing. But then Jesus looks at them. And Jesus looks at them, and they're rich, and they're well-fed, and he goes, but you're in need of everything. And so he says this about them. He says about them, they're wretched, and they're miserable, and they're poor, and they're blind, and they're naked. Jesus' view of what, how they were doing, and their view of how they were doing, were totally different. And what we see from it is that their pursuit of stuff had led them off course with God. They started right, but they got off course. And the reason they got off course was not because of, because of difficulty and, and adversity. It was because of blessing. They had all this stuff and they just wanted more stuff. Friends, what a tragedy. I think it's a, maybe the biggest tragedy that we have to try to fight against. And friends, this happens so often. I've seen so many people shipwreck their faith because they made their primary pursuit more stuff, more things, more recreation, thinking that it would lead them to more satisfaction, but it won't and it doesn't. Jesus said you can't serve two masters. But Satan says, tries to convince you that, oh, yes, you can. So greed is one of Satan's main tools of temptation. So the three, let's review them. Three are the needs of the flesh, pride, and greed. And I'm hoping as I'm going through these, I'm spending a little time on them, that God is beginning to identify in us. Oh, wow. That's an entry point Satan uses in my life. As we identify it, we see it more clearly, we're more able to recognize it and then to fight against it. And so those are the three main ways he comes at us. The needs of our flesh, pride, and greed. So we, can, you know, we see this to be true. Now, if you know what's coming, if you know what, how Satan's going to do it, we're more apt to be able to deal with it. And what I want to do as we wrap up in the last 10 minutes or so, is I want to show you how you can deal with temptation. How could Sounders' owner have dealt with the temptation and not stole the ham and not went to jail? How could he have done it? Well, how do we do it? The first thing is this. And this isn't going to be found in this text. It's going to be found somewhere else, a couple other places, but I think this is always the first, always the first step, and it's this. Flee if possible. Flee from temptation if it is possible. 1 Corinthians 10.13 tells us basically in a nutshell this. It says, God will always provide you with a way of escape from temptation that comes in your life. He's going to give you a way to get out of it. Timothy 2 Timothy 2.22 says it like this. Flee from youthful lusts and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace with those who call on the name of the Lord from a pure heart. Flee from youthful lusts. Now hear me today, especially those of you who have walked with God for a while. Often the most mature thing to do in the face of temptation is to run it is not godly to see how much temptation you can endure and then eventually give in to it it's not godly, it doesn't prove anything when you find yourself in a compromising or tempting situation, if at all possible, get out don't say, well I can handle it because you know what, that's foolishness you know why I say it? because that's the kind of foolishness that has led to way too many problems in our world. Too many affairs have been, happened because somebody said, I can handle it. Too many addictions have been birthed and spawned and, and, and spun out of control because somebody said, I can handle it. Too many marriages have been ruined because people just say, well, I can, I can handle it. Too many businesses have collapsed. Because people said, well, I can handle it. Just, just skimming off the top or, or doing this thing inappropriate. Too many politicians have crashed because they said they could handle it. You know what? It's embarrassing to turn on the news today. Congressman Wiener. It's embarrassing. But you know what? Why didn't he run? But you say, oh, it's easy to pick on him. You know what? King David, get off the roof. Wouldn't that have been the best thing to do? Run. You don't have to look at naked Bathsheba. King David, that's your that's your weak spot. Get off the roof. Run. King Solomon, be happy with one wife. Run away from the rest. You don't need a thousand concubines. It destroyed you. King Saul, don't keep the spoils from the battle for yourself. Run away from it. It's a temptation to you. For some reason, when God said to get rid of all of it, Saul, you wanted the best. What should he have done? Oh, I can handle it? No, run, if at all possible. Throw it in the heap and get out of there if you can. You know what? I don't consider myself a wimp because I run from temptation. I got all kinds of rules in place in my life to keep me to run from temptation. You know what? Darlene knows this. It was so amazing because people know this. And it's not, any, not anything with any one person. She would come in my office on, on Thursday, I think, talk to me about something. Or she could be there for one minute. You know what she did because it's my rule? I didn't even tell her to do She opened the door. She's one of our church secretaries. And she grabbed my little wood block that's on the floor, and she stuck it in the door. Because everybody knows, no lady's ever in my office. I don't, care who you, I don't care if you're 140 years old. You know, you are not going to be in my office if you're a woman with that door closed. And she walked in. She, I didn't tell her. She walked in. She propped the door open. and She came in. She asked me a question. She walked back out. She pulled the block out, and she left. Why? Because I flee any opportunity. I don't want to be King David. I don't want to be King Saul. And so you say, you know what, it's wisdom and it's maturity to set your life up in such a way to avoid the situations that could be possible downfalls for you. Because if all the secretaries know, then guess what? Then I have that in place that when somebody else comes who might have wrong motives towards me, the policy's in place and the door's always open and everybody knows it. And they all know if my door's closed, you better get in there and kick Mark's butt. You better knock on that door and say, what's wrong with you, bonehead? What's wrong with you, dummy? You've got rules in place for a reason. So we flee if we can. Flee if you can. Now, what if you can't flee? Jesus couldn't flee. He was in the wilderness with Satan. What if you can't flee? Well then, if you can't flee, and always, even if you can flee, learn to use God's Word as a weapon. Use God's Word as your offensive weapon. Scripture says the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. The word is like a sword. Jesus, in this, in this situation, overcame each of Satan's temptations by understanding and applying God's word. That's what he simply did. The devil would say, Scripture says this, and Jesus would say, you don't understand Scripture. Scripture really says that. Jesus, not only did he quote Scripture, because here's the deal, you can quote Scripture inappropriately, you can, uh, people do it all the time to me. But God says, if God's word says, I said, baloney, that's not what it means at all. Someone called me on the phone this week, within the last couple of days, not from this church. And they were trying to, somebody I, I know, and they were trying to justify their child getting a divorce. They didn't, want, they didn't like the guy their daughter married. They never wanted her to marry him. And now he's being a melonhead, and they wanted him to divorce him. And, and, uh, and so they said, oh, look at." Because he has probably at some point looked at a woman with lust in his heart. Therefore, the Bible says he's committed adultery. Because he's committed adultery, the Bible says then she's free from the marriage. And I said, uh, <laughs> wrong. Yeah, pretty good strategy. But that's Satan's strategy. That's what Satan did to Jesus. Twisting what God's word went. And I said, well, let's talk about it. That's not what God's word means. I talked to them about what God's word talked about. And they thought, yeah, you know, I suppose that's what I got to really you know, agree to. But here's the deal. We have to understand God's word and then apply God's word. Jesus chose to follow God's word even above his own fleshly cravings. So we follow his example. When you are tempted towards sin, choose to obey scripture that pertains to your temptation. The father of the boy who owns sounder would not have went to prison if he would have faced his temptation with God's word. Yes, he needed more food. But God's word says don't steal. So that's not an option. It's not an option. And so you've got to wait for God to give another way. You don't break God's word to try to fulfill your needs in an inappropriate way. To use God's word as a weapon implies something. You know what it implies? It implies that you know God's word. Here's a challenge for you. Make the Bible... The book that you read more than any other? Because you know what? A good book is good, but God's Word is life. Make this book the book you spend the most time in, especially in this day of media overload. It's It's not so popular anymore to read the Bible. We read books about the Bible. We, we read all kinds of other things. Most people don't read it all. They watch stuff. I'm telling you this. Make this book the primary thing you pour into your spirit. More than you pour in NCIS. And I'm saying that for me because I like NCIS. Okay? Keep putting God's word in your heart because it will empower you to recognize and to overcome sin. Without it, you are left to your own abilities and your own human opinion. So friends, guess what? Temptation will come. Yep, I feel it. As long as my heart is beating. But we can overcome it. We can flee if possible and we can fight with God's word and overcome it. And you know what? Maybe you're here today and there's something that the Spirit of the Lord as we've looked at these has has pointed out to you and you need to overcome it. You know what? Before you leave this place, Spend some time talking to God about it. Give it to Him. If you want, myself, some others will be up here to pray with you. I will pray with you about your situation. I believe God will enable you to be an overcomer. I believe it's God's plan for all of us to be overcomers. Amen? Amen. Would you stand up for me this morning?